0: with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Secular Jihadist. For a Muslim enlightenment, my name is Ali Rizwi. With me is Armin Navabi, who you just heard, uh, you know, expressing his, his frustration with my whole headset situation. Armin, how are you?
2: Good, good. I'm
1: good now. (laughs) You're good? You're feeling better now? Okay, good. good. I'm happy. I'm happy. I just
2: had to get that out of my system. Now now I feel a lot better.
1: (laughs) The graveyard of empires. Okay, so that's that's what Afghanistan is known as. It's known as the graveyard of empires. Why? Because everyone has tried to go in. Everyone has tried to take it over. All these empires. The British Empire tried to do it. Failed. Uh, The Soviet Union tried to do it failed and then the United States came in and did it and now now after the 20 years which is the longest war ever in US history that they've ever ever engaged in the longest one uh 20 years later around uh, between 800 billion and two trillion dollars I mean those are the different estimates 800 billion dollars is the cost according to the Department of Defense and it's it's even more you know when you when you add in other things uh did the deaths of thousands of soldiers, we had thousands of American soldiers, even more, like tens of thousands of Afghan Afghanis. Um, and the contractors, they don't even keep track of, right? So there's a, lot, a lot of sort of private contractors that have died there, too. Um, after all of this, the U.S. negotiated with the Taliban. and they came up with an agreement. And uh, Joe Biden has announced that they're going to leave Afghanistan in September in a war that is unwinnable, that was always <laughs> unwinnable. Everybody kind of knew it. And um, it ended up going from a, a reaction to 9-11 because, you know, Taliban had given safe haven to uh, Osama bin Laden and all these other, uh, to, to Al-Qaeda, you know, who did the 9-11 tax. And then after that, it started off as that, almost like a revenge type thing. And then it ended up in this, becoming this massive, messy, extended nation building project, right, through multiple administrations. So finally, the U.S. is leaving. Right. And the people are torn about this. Is this a good decision? Is this a bad decision? What's gonna happen afterwards? Armin, what are your thoughts on this? What's going on? Um
2: my thought is that a lot of people seem to turn this into a binary um black and white thing on whatever side they're on without mentioning how messy. And how horrible the cost is going to be, either. I mean, now the decision has been made, but before this decision was made, when the people were that were on the side of us leaving, were making it so. You know, it make make it seem so simple about how obvious of a decision this is, um, and also the people that wanted the United States to stay also made it it seem like it was such an obvious decision. But given that most of the people that I follow and I listen to um, were on the side of United States leaving, and I mean, that's also a very fair and reasonable position, but not if you completely dismiss what the cost to the Afghan people, the cost associated with United States leaving and making it, being so dismissive of it um, that you come off as such an arrogant piece of, like a a person that doesn't seem to care about the consequences to a lot of Afghans, United States leaving, as if anybody mentioning it is in favor, like trying to, Portray anybody who even brings this up as people who are on the side of U.S. imperialism. Like, even if it's the best decision, even if this is the best decision for the United States to leave Afghanistan, okay? You still, we still have to be able to talk about what is this going to mean for the Afghan people and the costs associated with it. Without these, these, I'm trying not to swear. (laughs) <laughs> without these people completely throwing them under the bus, you know, not every mention of the, the bloodshed and the f- woman rights and the freedom that our people are going to be losing and all the people who worked with the U.S. military and all the translators and all the politicians and all the activists that might be killed or might be, like, tortured or might be put to jail, mentioning these realities that are completely possible, Mentioning the fact that there might be a civil war within Afghanistan for decades to come. uh, We don't know. Mentioning all of that, it's not, you can't just be like, stop talking about it, stop talking about it. Because if you say that, that means that you're against us, you're against, you are supporting U.S. imperialism. Well, how can we not talk about this thing? These things are possible, okay? Even if if you want to conclude that, yes, given all of that, still, it's the best decision for the United States to leave. But those are realities on the ground. And you need to talk about it. You can't just dismiss all of these things that might be be happening. But go on, Ellie.
1: Yeah, this is the important, that's actually a really important point because these realities on the ground, um, civil war and and any kind of, you know, the the issues that are going to happen, it is going to return Afghanistan into the same state that it was before 9-11. And it could very well become another safe haven for terrorists, which is exactly what, they wanted to prevent, so that's like you know, that's like a trillion dollars, uh, pretty much down the drain, right? Because if it ends up unstable, politically unstable, um, economically unstable, it could end up being the same thing. Um, and there, there have just been there have been a lot of mistakes. You know, like I was reading actually, there's one like major mistake that they did was that the, the U.S. was trying to get. Uh, get people to train, get of local Afghanis to train. Because they're like, okay, we've got our military generals. They're going to come in. They're going to train local Afghanis. We've got police forces. We're going to train the local Afghani police force. And the Taliban were still getting more recruits. They kept on getting more recruits. And I think it was seven years into the war, seven years into the war, the U.S. realized that the Taliban were paying them a lot of money. The U.S. was paying around $120 dollars. <laughs> To, to to the recruits, um, I can't remember it was per week or per month or whatever. Um, and and the Taliban were paying them two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars, so they they gave them a raise. Like at that point, I mean, there there were mistakes like that, um, that it just completely slowed down, uh, the the uh, nation building effort too, and they they just got into this huge mess. So they didn't go in trying to fix the women's right issue. They didn't go in trying to do all of these things, but. You know, they ended up doing a lot of that. And that's one of the reasons that people oppose it. They're like, you know, there are a lot of girls who started going to school. You know, I I personally uh, know uh, a girl who grew up in Afghanistan under the Taliban. She had to dress up as a boy to go to school. And, you know, she eventually got a scholarship and, you know, now she lives in, in Canada. But and there are a lot of stories like that. And a lot of these girls, a lot of these women, like they're now members of parliament, you know, they're now, now uh, they're professionals, a lot of them are doctors, a lot of them are doing all kinds of great work in Afghanistan and then helping build the country. And now there's a sense that all of them are going to be abandoned. And to some extent, that's true. A lot of it they will be. The Taliban will come back in power and they will be abandoned. But this is just one of those situations where it's, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't.
2: Yeah, so again, even, don't just dismiss there right now Many there are many 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 Afghans who are terrified, yeah. who are terrified about the United States leaving Afghanistan. They are. They, I don't. I don't know if people understand how the panic right now in Afghanistan associated with this. It was the the whole process of leaving um is it, been done so hastily and without proper planning. Thanks to uh trump by the way which i'll get back to that as well of course i'm gonna is i have um i'm gonna make sure my trump derision syndrome doesn't get ignored here i'm gonna blame a lot of this on trump it's but by the way this is very interesting because a lot of people who hate trump were like i congratulating him that um on at least it's like oh yeah trump is horrible but at least he's. Push United States to leave uh, Afghanistan, but that's that. At least one good thing that he does, he did. Like no, this is this was a, this was done very very um, it, it, with such poor planning, um, and everybody is panicking. Right? Well, not everybody, but many people. Taliban is not. Taliban has having a field day with this, but mm-hmm. many people are panicking, and if you are on the side of yes, United States needs to leave please don't act like a prick pretending like by by not caring about all of these Afghans that are right now, this is a major concern. You have no idea. Like United States has a history of uh, pushing people under the bus, people that help them strategically, right? And they have, and this is just another addition to all of that, right? Like whether it was like, with Bush Senior, um, with the uh, people who raised up against Saddam, and he betrayed; he basically abandoned them, and Saddam came after them with that support that they thought they're going to get from Bush. Whether it was the Kurds um, in Iraq that were abandoned, whether like if people who strategically helped the United States, and whether like now in Afghanistan, all the all the experts and the translators. And all the people that very, were very strategic to United States military while they were there, they're like, bye bye. You are like the weird, like no process. Like these are people that were were should there should have been a very fast you know, before you even announce that you're leaving. You need to have a plan for these people to get refugee status in the United States or somewhere else. Like you're basically leaving people in Afghanistan, people that worked with, in the eyes of Taliban, worked with the enemy. Like these are enemy, like these are people who betrayed their country. Um, And there is like, it's amazing that there's no process for getting these people out. These people are panicking. There's so many of them and they're begging for a way to, anyways, I I, I want
1: to go on. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. So here's the thing. Osama bin Laden actually said one of his biggest issues, because Osama bin Laden also trained under, like he was on the U.S. side, you know, fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. He's one of those guys. And and he actually said that the U.S. cut and run. So just a refresher in history, like the abandoning thing, when they're saying they're abandoning, the U.S. is abandoning Pakistan, Afghanistan, that's happened before. So in the 80s when... Uh, the uh, Afghans were fighting the Soviets. The Mujahideen, right? The Mujahideen means people. Literally means people who do jihad. Except at that time, you know, they were uh, heroes in the U.S. Jihad was a good word in the U.S. You know, the jihad was a jihad against the Soviets. So, um, so when that was happening, uh, it was it was the same thing. Once that was over, and once that war was lost, and the Soviet Union was driven out of it. Uh, there were a lot of weapons, a lot of weapons in Afghanistan. A lot of refugees. They came into Pakistan, and Pakistan was the U.S.'s strategic partner. And and Pakistan is bitter about the fact, right? And not saying that Pakistan Pakistan's got its own issues in all this stuff, but you know that that the U.S. cut and ran, and they left them with this huge influx of refugees, this huge influx of weapons, and this huge influx of drugs. Right, the the opiates and the the heroin, the poppy, the, the, that trade. So, when all of these things happen, the the cut and run um, idea, the talking about the U.S. and how the U.S. abandons people, and then they they get people to engage with them and do their work, and then they just leave them hanging. Right, mm-hmm. this was a grievance that Osama bin Laden himself leveraged right, in order to drum up anti-American sentiment. Right. And- this is one of the things he said himself.
2: This is very interesting. Lewis is saying the U.S. has been training the Afghan army for years. Why does it never work? Well, because they don't have the motivation, the ideology, the connections on the ground, the infrastructure that the Taliban like it's really hard. Like it's when it comes to training and building an army. Um, You can see that how much money and weapons and training gets you. If you want to see how much that gets you, look at the Saudis army against the Houthis. Okay, like you look at the Saudis army with all the training in the world with the most advanced military um, equipment money could possibly buy against the Houthis who have used to have like not even shoes. (laughs) right. When they were fighting against the Saudis and the Saudis couldn't win that. Saudis couldn't win that because the Houthis, the Houthis, they had the ideology, they had the connections, they had, you know, the drive um, and also the desperation to survive, right? Mm. Um, so, and Saudi couldn't defeat that. So, again, this is why these battles uh, should be looked at as not just a military battle. Like, this is an, also an ideological battle that you right. also need to win, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, go on now.
1: No, no that's exactly right. So Lois, you know that's there's a saying that the Taliban have the Taliban say the us has the clocks, but we have the time right so they have a lot of they have a lot of patience, they have a lot of time and they have less to lose, right Whenever you have two sides and one has a lot more to lose, right and you know killing Afghanis like the Taliban doesn't really care that much about it. I mean that's not an issue you know they're martyrs. But when U.S. soldiers are killed, it hits the U.S. a lot harder. right? The U.S. does have a lot more to lose. And any time you have one side that has a lot more to lose, you, they provide you with more targets. They provide you with more vulnerabilities. And it's uh, they find ways to hit at them. So that's the thing with the Afghan army. Like To train the Afghan army, if America going to train them, a lot of these people that they're recruiting, first of all, they have to pay them better. Like I said, for the first seven years, the Taliban were playing paying uh, their recruits more than twice what the U.S. was paying their recruits. So that's one reason it wasn't working. The second thing is, they train them. A lot of these people, you have to first teach them how to read and write. Like, the literacy rate is very low there. I mean, this place has been war-torn. It's been a battlefield for decades, right? A lot of people, they don't know how to read or write. So you have to train these people. First, you have to educate them. I don't... I don't
2: know if you can throw money at this by training money. Like this is, this is no. Yeah. I mean, but, but training, like, I don't know if ideological battle could be done with, um, United States training the military. Like that's not, it's, that's just, yeah, that's just pissing in the wind. Um, Susanna is mentioning, what could a refugee crisis from Afghanistan look like? Many analysts are discussing mass exodus. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but I can tell you, this is one reason why uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran is now, a, which used to be a mortal enemy of Taliban, is now supporting the Taliban against the Americans, right? Um, because they want to make sure they're, they're, they're supporting the winning side and they have control over what's happening between uh, Afghanistan and Iran's borders. Uh, by the way, for people, maybe maybe we forgot to mention this to people, uh, or maybe I just assume that everybody knows that. Uh, people are following the fact that Taliban is just like, in the last two months, just taking more land uh, from the current official government of Afghanistan today uh, than the past decade, right? Like, the, the people are seeing how they're just rolling over and taking one area after one area. Um, and this is but uh, people don't understand like people keep focusing on the negotiation with Taliban negotiation with Taliban but if you look at it from the perspective of Taliban they're seeing they they they're seeing that they don't need to negotiate they have the upper hand right they're like they have these talks in Doha and they're like acting like they're negotiating with the current government but they don't need to give anything from their side when they can take it right But the major thing that we have to see right now when it comes to the power dynamics between Taliban and the current Afghan government Mm -hmm. is that the Taliban in the past two months has been very, very effective at taking a lot of land. But the main areas that they haven't yet been able to dominate over are major cities, right? Like they can take everything around the cities, around the cities, all the major areas. But the actual major cities, they either haven't been able to take them. Or they manage to take them for just a little while, and then they have to go back, and then the uh, official government comes back in, right? But I mean, this is they have, they're only beginning to t- to take over. Like once uh, United States is completely out of there, um, I mean, we're gonna see are they gonna be able to uh, like take Kabul, right? Like that would be a, a very like everybody's waiting to see what that's gonna look like. People are like, oh no, we need to negotiate with them on sharing power and stuff. Taliban like, why do I need to... Oh, another thing that is very important to um, keep in mind is that people talk about Taliban as if it's... um, I mean, we're guilty of that as well, as if it's one thing, right? But Taliban is a lot more... um, There's a lot more variance in what Taliban really means, right? Like the Taliban that is right now fighting in Afghanistan and taking ground like every goddamn day is different from the, the Taliban that is negotiating in Doha. And it's different from the Taliban that right now, as we speak, by the way, is negotiating with Zarif in Tehran um, and is different from the Taliban uh, that is in Pakistan. They're all connected and they're all on the same side, but they do have different interests, right? Like sometimes it seems like the Taliban right now that is doing the fighting in Afghanistan has is very motivated to not let the Taliban that is in Doha (laughs) get the upper hand. Like there is some internal competition here as well. And this is why the internal competition between Taliban versus Taliban is going to make a prediction of what's going to happen very complicated. And it also makes the people who are predicting maybe a civil war is going to make their outcomes also a little bit more likely. We don't know. Another thing, Ali, that we have to mention is that the role of ISIS in all of this, I'm saying ISIS because I don't want to trigger YouTube or anything, but um, Taliban in their negotiations, they apparently have to guarantee the US in their deals, like that they are going to be fighting ISIS, right? Um, <laughs> to make sure that they don't get power. Uh, however, Taliban is fighting ISIS. And guess what? They're also recruiting ISIS, right? <laughs> like there are it's so it's so messy right now ali like they're fighting them but there're also people in them that are they're using the flags of taliban but they're actually isis fighters that they're now being recruited by taliban right it's so hard like you could you could wake up as an isis fighter and in the midday be a taliban fighter and then go back to sleep as an isis fighter it's so like there is no way to tell who's who and a lot of a lot of uh, people in afghanistan are like guys guys taliban is actually using isis fighters and we don't know who these people are like they're noticing people from chechnya like like they're like how like it's it's so messy uh and even he, here's an interesting thing not only um not only the uh, the current go- afghanistan government is like who are these people who are fighting for you taliban like can you let us know who are these Like, we want to negotiate with you. Okay, but who are we negotiating with right now? Are we negotiating? Are you supposed to help us fight ISIS in the future government? Or are you actually, oh, I said the word, are you actually recruiting them? But here's another thing. Even Taliban sometimes doesn't know. Like, Taliban, like, sometimes is contacting Taliban, and is like, I heard on the news that you captured this place. How did that happen? Who captured it? Are you still there? Like, they don't even, like... It's so messy. Anyways, I'm going to stop talking because you should let you talk.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's no such thing as one Taliban. I mean, everybody knows that like when you had the, you know, the Haqqani, you had the Afghan Taliban and then you had the Pakistani Taliban. And that was in the SWAT, the northwestern frontier province. That's now known as Khyber uh, Pakhtunkhwa. Um, and that's where they used to, uh, you know, the Pakistan the Taliban had a completely different agenda. And the Afghan Taliban had a completely different agenda. You know, some of them were open to negotiation, others were not. Like it's a it, it was a complete mess. There's different ethnicities, right? There's the Pashtuns that are over there. They're allied there. they're are Pakistanis. Um, and then there are Arabs.' <laughs> they're, they're all in that region. there's even Chechens now. There's Chechens, yeah, there's people from all over the place. Um, and there's these differences in ethnicities and all of them have they all have different agendas as well. I mean, the local Afghans, uh, where they're the Pashtuns, uh, you know, and they they also have a local, they have a regional, they have regional interests that uh, some of the other factions don't really care about. You know, they're not very interested in you know what's going on locally in Afghanistan, like with Afghani politics. So it, it's 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 a it is a very messy thing. So even when you say negotiating with them, um, they and they know this. I mean, Joe Biden, he does know it that it's not gonna. I I don't know how much it's gonna stick like this deal. You can't negotiate. You you just can't do that. You can't trust the Taliban with making a deal. You, you can't do it. Um You, you can, can do trust it them you. with not
2: abiding by their deal. You can trust them to do whatever deal you sign with them. By the way, it's almost impossible for Taliban to abide by their deal. But it you can't. know, no, yeah. they, no, because what you you might sign a deal with like the Taliban in Doha and the Taliban in Af- that is on the ground in Afghanistan. They go with like. I don't care about the deal you signed like i don't recognize the authority of the taliban that you just signed a deal with we see this we we can see there's an area in front of us we see we can take it over um we're gonna take it over right like it like even if the person even if the taliban that you signed a deal with wants to accept like abide by that deal like how is that taliban that you signed a deal with is going to force the, the commander on the ground that just wants to take over. Like they're not going to, they don't have control over each other. Right. Uh, by the way, Louis is mentioning something that I didn't know, which is really good that we, uh, uh, Louis is saying Biden is giving speech tomorrow about getting the interpreters out of Afghanistan. Okay. That's really good. And yeah. then, uh, so that's, that's good to know. There, but, there, but, there
1: are a lot more. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of people. Like there's interpreters, there's other people who've kind of, it uh, worked with the U.S. I mean, I think that the, who was it in the Atlantic, I think it was George Packer, or I can't, I think that was the name of the writer, who said that uh, there were 17,000 people uh, who mm-hmm. had to apply for visa. That doesn't include all of, you know, the, the women and, the, and all of the other people who are going to suffer if the Taliban comes into power. So it's, uh, I mean, th- there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And you, you can, you know, you're absolutely right. You can't, you can't negotiate. Susanna is saying, right. please give us more perspective on
2: Pakistan's current role in Afghanistan. Well, Pakistan's role on Taliban has all... Okay, so Pakistan, like the Taliban in Pakistan, ta- Taliban is mostly a Pakistani phenomenon than it's an Afghani phenomenon, right? Like the source of ideology, the source of military, the, and the source of identity of Taliban comes from Pakistan right that is their home base and that's also what gives them an advantage because they could always like they always have a place where they could go back to um and you know and get support like this is it's really hard for Afghan's government to uh, fight against this internal um force when it's it's not internal, it's coming from somewhere else where they don't have, like they can't, Afghans government can't send military to Pakistan to deal with this thing, right? Like they, they can't be like, okay guys, this is coming, this mess is coming from your ground. Like, they, we're gonna come clean this mess up. Like they could just the the only thing they could do is just keep begging Pakistan's government like, guys, look what this is this garbage, this toxic garbage, is like destroying our country. Can you do something about it? And of course, Pakistan is not gonna do something about it. But yeah, basic basically this is this is the fact that Afghanistan is being uh, influenced by Pakistan and all the support and all the uh, ideological support and all the military support and all the financial support for Taliban coming out of Pakistan makes it close to impossible for Pakistan's government, even with support of United States or anything, is almost impossible to deal with this. But but, yeah. but you know, Pakistan
1: has had a they they've had a double dealing with it. I mean, the Pakistani intelligence. Has always had an alliance with the Af- Afghan Taliban, right? They've had an interest, and also has to do with you know having providing a buffer against India. Uh, so th- there has been a strategic interest, and they've been allied. They've been working under the scenes. Um, but Pakistan did not like the, the the Pakistani Taliban, which was attacking, you know, the Pakistani people, and they were beheading like Pakistani soldiers. So, this, so there was a uh, they they really did not like the Pakistani the Taliban, and they really they had a total alliance with the Afghan Taliban. So. There's a, that also goes to show even strategically, there's a there's a big it goes,
2: it depends though. Ali, I think it goes up and down the relationship with even yeah. the Taliban in Pakistan, and also there's like there's also public, like the intelligence officers' uh, agencies in Pakistan could like know that the Taliban in Pakistan is unpopular, they might have like a public, um, and en- consider them pu- uh, publicly as an enemy, but behind the scenes, they're still building connections, even um. With the Taliban even in Pakistan, and also it's sometimes very difficult to know when the pakistani taliban uh with uh, ends and the afghani Pakistan begins like the lines are ex- extremely blurry yeah yeah, yeah. well that, that's um,
1: what that's what works in their favor right i mean this that's uh, you know this uh, let's see um oh this is a good one, yeah, so lois is saying. A Guam has agreed to take the interpreters, et cetera, so they have a safe place to stay while their visas are processed. You
2: know, yeah, but the thing is that yeah, I heard about that. Um, but right now the process is, is happening very slowly, right? So this needs to happen. Uh, I, I'm hoping Biden like makes like put some fire under this and makes this happen really f- fast. I the, the the thing is that this has this should have been. Done before the announcement of withdrawal, right? Like the providing of uh, safety for all these interpreters should have done be, should have been done first before um, all of these, you know, withdrawal was announced and stuff like that, right? Um, it, it, another thing, Ali, I want to mention is mm-hmm. the role of how screwed up this whole process has become because of uh, Trump's administration right? Yeah. Um, because the way that, um, the way, what Trump did with, like, the announcement of leaving of the troops was basically not even a negotiation. It was, like, a surrender. Like, he didn't even, like, his administration didn't even attempt to get something in return, right? And, you know, with 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 while promising all of that, like or very little at least, right? Um, and for Biden, you know, when he comes in, it's you know how when like, for example when Obama had to deal with um, Iran, and Trump came and f- threw that out, and basically that would make United States uh, dealing with United States make it seem like you can't deal with United States because you deal with one president and then the next president comes and destroys it like that was but Biden doesn't do it but can't do that like Biden wants to make sure that when you make a deal with the United States you make a deal with the United States right so even though he might have changed the uh, the, the dates a little bit um it would be very messy for Biden to start a renegotiation with Taliban when it comes to the conditions for them leaving like basically um Trump gave a gift uh to Taliban the way that they uh announced that they were gonna leave without any basically took all the way, took all the leverage away from Biden, right? And if some people say like, oh, there shouldn't have been any negotiation, they should have just left. Um asking for something more in return would not stop you from leaving. Like there could have been a, a lot more this could have been done a lot more strategically right but it wasn't and basically trump threw away all the leverage that biden could have had um and biden doesn't really have the option to come out and renegotiate everything from scratch because the deal with united States had had been made right
1: yeah so and and the thing is so joe biden also wanted to withdraw i mean he wanted the yeah. same thing but it's like as armin is saying it's about When you, whenever you do these things, you have to make sure that you're getting some something in return. You have to have that leverage, right? And that's where uh, Trump was kind of notorious with any kind of deals he made, like with the Israelis, with um, like he he would just give away all the leverage, give away things without anything in return. So that's kind of uh, what he did with uh, the Taliban as well. But Biden, you know, there's a a, a, apparently Biden was the only only person, right, during the Obama administration, uh, who did not want the surge you know when they did the surge in afghanistan like they tried to repeat what they did in iraq uh because that worked really well and they're like okay let's do a surge in afghanistan didn't work as well so biden was actually against it and he had uh, told obama that uh you know this is going to lead to a forever war right you have to don't he told him not to listen to the generals because all the generals were telling him you know do the surge and he was the only person who was telling him not to listen to the generals Okay, and then what happens now, uh, right, is that, and this is, I'll read a quote from this. I mean, this is from an article by Maureen Dowd. So this is a quote from Joe Biden. Uh, He said, the main argument, a quote, the main argument for staying longer is what each of my three predecessors have grappled with. No one wants to say that we should be in Afghanistan forever, but they insist now is not the right moment to leave. So when will it be the right moment to leave? one more year two more years 10 more years 10 20 30 billion dollars more above the trillion we've already spent not now is how we got here right, right.
2: yeah so right. And, and i now, mean that's what he thinks yeah so here's and this is obviously a damned if you do damn, if you don't situation there's going to be a lot of costs associated with united states leaving there's also going to be a lot of costs associated with united states uh either staying or leaving right but just don't ignore the, whatever side you're on. Just don't ignore the cost from as other side and try to find ways to reduce it, right? Try to find a way to reduce it. Don't be this inhumane person that feels like, oh, we have to leave because screw the Afghan people and their concerns. I, I People understand them, the vast majority of Afga- Afghans don't like the Taliban. Like this is going to be a hostage situation and it could be either a hostage situation or it's going to be civil war. We don't know. Like this, like we are, we are talking about the population of people that, have enjoyed the progress that they have made like people think like this has been a disaster well yes it has been a disaster for the united for the united states and the u.s taxpayer um up to one trillion dollars and more um but there are many afghans who enjoy the fact that they're not under the taliban anymore their, their liberties that they enjoy right now, the fact that they get access to education. They are, you know, maybe not the urban areas, but city centers have become centers for, you know, lib, you know, liberals in Afghanistan and secularists in really like this new lifestyle that they're now enjoying compared to what it was like in, to, uh, with to, in the Taliban. Um, and they don't want to go back. They think like now they're going to go back 20 years, right? And they're like this is this is horrible they don't want this they don't and so what, what's going to happen is now if taliban manages to take over completely um, these are people who are going to be uh, people who want a more liberal more secular more free more uh, pro-woman rights government they're going to be hostages of this taliban takeover And if Taliban doesn't manage to take over because it's really hard to take over a population of a country that doesn't like you, then you're going to have to deal with civil war. Like, I don't know which one of these is going to happen, but this is not ideal, right? This is not good. Um, However, the argument for staying is like, well, I mean, United States is not responsible for, oh, here's the interesting thing. People are like, well, United States government is supposed to represent the taxpayer, American taxpayer, right? And they're not supposed to. And this is a waste of money. And um, what? Yes, we're sorry for the Afghan people, but sorry, um, we need to. We have more problems at home that we need to fix. We can't just keep spending money on this, right? Um, Another perspective is like, yeah, but you, you guys, you guys broke this. You need to. Oh, it's your problem. You have to fix it. You have to keep it uh, intact. Which is, and that's another argument. But I can. I mean, it's completely understandable to make the argument that American government should not, like, as a, as an American taxpayer and voter, it's completely justifiable for you to uh, make the argument that, look, I'm sorry for other countries, but my government needs to focus on the problems of my country, okay? That's completely justifiable. Just don't do that while ignoring how horrible this situation is going to, and don't, like, if you, Maybe try to care, right? You could you could make that argument and care at the same time because if you don't care for the Afghans and what's going to happen to them, then you're a horrible human being. Anyways, going at me?
1: Yeah, I, so I think that you know people who are very binary about this and say, "Oh no, we have to leave no matter what." It's like forget about it, like you know what Armin's talking about. Like they're not even considering the consequences of what could happen. Is uh, they're very short memories, or maybe they're not old enough to remember what happened in the '80s. Because this is exactly what happened. And here's a problem. And this brings up actually a bunch of interesting things. So the problem is that um, Osama bin Laden, when he first announced that he declared his war on the U.S., right? and I think it was in 96, when he first put out that fight that we're going to declare the war on the U.S., he talked specifically, because you know he was in the center of this. He was fighting the Soviets from Afghanistan. And he was on the U.S. side. He talked specifically about how the U.S. cuts and runs and abandons its people, its strategic partners, and leaves them to fend for themselves. He used that. He had, he said that in his very, very first announcement about what well, al-Qaeda planned to do. And so now the, the U.S. goes in after 9-11. And 9-11, I know people say it's super, super taboo to say that, okay, the U.S. is to blame. And I'm not saying that the U.S. is to blame for 9-11, but this was a concept. This was a reaction like the bin Laden al-Qaeda. This is one of the things that they were going against. Um, so when, the, when he he said all of this stuff, this is something that they had to prove him wrong. And, and this is what's interesting about this war in Afghanistan is that what did they go in to do? Right, it's one thing to you know you know, when you have a war, what's your national interest? Uh, you know, did you go in? Nine eleven happened, and you wanted to get back. The Taliban gave safe haven to Al Qaeda, so you go in. So there's a revenge aspect. Okay, you want to do that. You eventually, you know, get Bin Laden, and he's gone, and you drive Taliban out. And you establish, but then, what was the long term goal? Was it just to? And then they stuck around. Why did they stick around? Because, you know, the, the challenge was that they shouldn't cut and run, so they were trying really hard not to cut and run. Like, what what was the purpose? Like this one trillion dollars that was spent. Do you know Armin? Like, yeah, why? I mean,
2: okay. So here's the thing. Aside because... from
1: revenge, and aside from this, okay, we got to get them back. Like,
2: no, it's not revenge at all. It's I mean, this place is going to if when, I mean, it makes you could make the argument for why this is beneficial to U.S. taxpayer as well because there's many things that could happen when the United States leaves, right? I mean, this could become a safe haven again for ISIS, right? And people yeah. were like, "Oh, you're fear mongering." No, it could be. I mean, it's already is. It could become more of that, right? Um, it could destabilize that area um, completely, which is going to be beneficial to. Um, it's going to be harmful to some elements in Iran's government, and it's going to also be beneficial to some elements in Iran's government. And guess what? It's going to be beneficial to the parts that you don't like. All right? Like This is going to be, um, do you want, like, you, you managed to make Iraq, maybe, like, it's getting closer and to, closer to Iran's um, province outside of its borders. Do you want to see something like that happening to Afghanistan as well? Like, um, how much, like, we already have uh, Iran's uh, Fatim Yun army becoming very active inside Afghanistan the more chaos that happens it's, it's going to make them dominate over there even more and it's going to give Iran's government a lot more leverage uh to play uh to play its role when it comes to want to push uh, European or or North American countries in, in the, to get to get from them the things that they want okay and also um China, China is going to be able to completely come in and take over. maybe we don't know. Um, and remember like when it comes to the competition uh, that United States has against China, rare, air, uh, rare uh, earth metals. Are becoming one of the most important resources when, uh, in geopolitical competitions uh, between countries, and Afghanistan has around a trillion dollars of that, uh, right? So, and at this time, that Japan and South Korea and United States are desperately trying to figure out how to reduce uh, China's monopoly over rare metals, um, losing control over a country that is a major source of it, and maybe leaving it for China to come in and. Uh, do a lot more m- major investments in it, that could be extremely uh, work against, uh, strategically be ag- against United States. And again, uh, d- d- these will have trade consequences, financial consequences, economic consequences to like Japan, Vietnam, South Korea, and United States. So this is like when people, it's easy, it's easy to track the money that you're spending on intervention in Afghanistan, but it's harder to track the economical be- benefits you're going to get in when it comes to being able to create stability in areas like this, and because it's easier for people to demonize intervention like this because tracking the benefits is harder than tracking the costs, right? Again, I'm not defending this, but I'm just saying like those would be those might be alternatives. It's also uh, the US taxpayer is going to find it very, very uh, bad. Op, it's very bad optics if your line of reasoning is like we need the minerals, right? <laughs> like people are like, wait, so we're lo- we're giving blood for minerals, like we're spending u s soldier blood, and you know we're giving lives so that because we could have economic interest, so that's basically the optics of making an argument like that is really, really bad, but they're
1: they're they're right. look, we're talking about twenty years, all right? If they wanted the minerals, I mean, what the Iraq war was not as long, all right? They went into Iraq. The the U.S. immediately set up like you know Halliburton was there. There were all these private contractors who were doing all this oil stuff. I mean, the oil interest was there. Ultimately, it wasn't really worth it, okay. But they did it. At least you could see that happening. After twenty years, when are they going to start on this mineral thing? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like they they started. They got they fought the Taliban. And then after that, they started getting into okay. Well, let's, let's work with the women over here. Okay, let's start training the police force. Let's start educating the local Afghans so we can get them into the military and we can you know let's help set up this political system this parliamentary government this democracy let's you know organize the elections and oversee them and make sure that everything's done well let's you know put our puppet Hamid Karzai in there like they were doing all of these things it was all nation building stuff they weren't doing the other things that you're talking about like the strategic interests that you're the other economic interests that everybody theorized like if it was gonna in 20 years When are they going to, when were they going to start on that?
2: So actually it's very interesting because we say that because like when, when the Russians were in Afghanistan and eventually they had to leave, you could see the mark that they left, like the infrastructure, the Russian infrastructure is still visible to this day. Like they actually changed, they built stuff. Right. But now that the Americans are leaving, they left nothing behind. Like, there is no, like, they, they they are leaving no mark other than, the only thing that they, they have to show for is military bases, right? Like, you're where's the nation building think, right? right? The Russians did more nation building in Afghanistan that Afghanistan is benefiting from till this day than more than the Americans did in the, the last 20 years. Like, this is, like, the United States with all its... Financial advantages and everything. Where there's not, you didn't do
1: anything while you were there. Like, so I I don't think I don't think that's completely true. So I mean, if you're looking at if you're looking at infrastructure, if you're looking at you know structural things like that, um, then yeah, you you know, you might have a point. But the the U.S. did do things like yeah, the, the the women coming into parliament. There's women running for elections. You know, a, a sort rights of a and of
2: liberties, and that right. Th- those, yeah, education those are important. yeah okay.
1: yeah. So those those are things like it's a different kind of mark, right? I mean, remember the yeah. the Soviet but Union, but a mark was-
2: that could, but it's a mark that you could take away, like this. Do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, yeah.
2: But, with the, with the comeback of Taliban. but Ali, the the thing is that one thing that I want to um, touch on, which is, annoys the hell out of me when I see people do, is this black and white thinking when it comes to intervention, right? Like people yeah. are like. This intervention cost us. It was bad, bad intervention. Therefore, all intervention is bad intervention. You know what I mean? Like, oh look, we intervened here bad, and it cost us. We intervened over here, and it was a bad idea. Just don't, just, just don't intervene. It just stop intervening because it's costing us. Like, are these the same people who were like, what would you um, like tell the United States to not intervene in World War II? Like, would that be also your advice there, right? Mm. Um, like there are a lot of interventions right now happening by the United States that if they if they stop, it will cost Americans and the whole world a lot. Like, do you want the United States not to intervene right now, for example, in um, the in waters around uh, Philippines and China and uh, and Vietnam and stuff? Because guess what? If the United States doesn't intervene there, first of all. China, uh, Japan, and Philippines, and Vietnam, and South Korea—they're going to panic because they want the United States to intervene there. And guess what? Who else should want the United States to intervene there? It's the United States because you—if you, you lose—if China manages to dominate that trade route, that's going to cost the American citizen a lot. Okay? So there, and so don't just be like, "Oh, this intervention was bad." So. I'm non full on every intervention by United States outside of its borders is always completely wrong in any... No, you're an idiot because you just saw one intervention that you didn't like and two interventions you didn't like or 10 interventions you didn't like, and now you're coming up with a generalization. I mean, the whole idea... And these are the same people who would be like, oh, yeah, um, I don't know, Holocaust, never forget, never forget... This is like, we we should like, we shouldn't, the world sat by idly and didn't do us anything. And then we're like, okay, so what do you think the world doing something looks like? Right? People are like, oh no, the problem is the world should do something, but it has to be in collaboration with other countries. Like the problem with the United States is that they're just doing it by themselves. Not in Afghanistan! In Afghanistan is being done with uh, all these European countries and NATO and with the desire of Afghans for Americans to be there. Like, so don't, like, don't, you can't be on the side of never forget and the world are like, oh my God, the world should be ashamed because they stood idly by and do nothing. And at the same time, be a non-interventionist because these two things don't go with each other. Like, they're, they're a contradiction. But go on.
0: Yeah, no,
1: I so I'll remember, like, one, one really interesting example of this is that I saw this. I had some super far leftist friends, right, who uh, were against all U.S. intervention. I mean, they were part of the whole thing that, you know, the U.S. is the worst empire ever in the the history of the world. And the U.S. is the greatest terrorist in the world, all all of this stuff. That's the kind of thing they had. And against all of the interventions, like, why did the U.S. intervene here? Why did they intervene here, there, there, everything? And then uh, when Libya happened, when the Arab Spring was in full swing, and then uh, you, you had... Um, the uprising against Gaddafi with the locals and they were being cracked down upon, right? At that point, remember the US kind of took a bit of a backseat, you know, let France lead the way and let the other countries lead the way. And then they intervened in that way and they intervened in a very, very strategic kind of way. This is when, you know, Obama was president. And before that intervention, these leftist friends were just talking about how Slavery is back in Libya. Torture is back. There's all this terrible stuff happening, and why isn't the U.S. doing anything about it? They were all actually arguing for intervention, right, uh, in Libya. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, th- that's yeah. the thing. Like they, they'll eventually turn because then they, when they actually see the consequences of certain situations, where like what's happening in Libya is absolutely, absolutely horrific. Like the way Gaddafi was cracking down on these people. Um, you know, the Arab Spring protesters, they saw that and it completely freaked them out. And at that point, they were, they were asking for intervention. There were people in Libya writing to people here, you know, on, online, just talking to like, when is the U.S. coming? We need somebody to support us. We're going to get killed. Our kids are going to get killed. So, um, yeah, it goes back and forth. I mean, it's not, it's not one size fits all, this intervention stuff.
2: Yeah, the best the best solution to the best response to bad intervention is um, smart intervention, right? Not no intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, let's read some music Guy, like, uh, he has some interesting
0: comments. Yeah,
1: he's got some so music guy 20 saying, yes, the younger generation came from Pakistan and moved back to Afghan, Af- Afghan and became the Taliban when they grew up. But everything they learned came from their stay at Pakistan during the war with Russia. Yeah, this is true. So this is around the time that that, that all of the madrassas were opening up in Pakistan. So the Taliban was actually, you know, people get this mixed up. A lot of people say that U.S. created the Taliban. It was actually Pakistan and the ISI, the, the Pakistan's intelligence that created the Taliban in that sense. And yes, they were allied with the U.S., they were strategic partners with the U.S. when they did it. And the word where it comes from, we've talked about this here before, you know, there were plenty of madrassas that were opening up, these religious schools, and they were training these kids. They were basically getting kids. And and people put their kids in these religious schools because these things are getting Saudi funding and they're getting, you know, they're, they're very, very nice buildings. And um, they usually have to pay for school, for primary education for their kids. If they can send their kids to a school that's totally free and a nice building and their kids are going to learn to read and write, people would do that. So lots of kids went to this. And Talib means student in Arabic and in Urdu and I think in Persian too, right, Armin? And, and the plural for Talib, for student, is Taliban, right? So Taliban just basically means students. These were the students of these madrasas. And from Pakistan, they went into Afghanistan. There were a lot of Pashtuns uh, who were part of this too. And, and so, yeah, that's absolutely true. That's, that is that is how it happened.
2: Uh, music guy is saying Trump wanted to pull out of everything, basically even Syria. Yeah, guys, even, even if you're on the side of uh, United States pulling out of here or there, uh, there is a right way to do it, and there are wrong ways to do it. Like mm-hmm. there are more strategic ways and better planned ways to do it. Like you, you, you could don't be like just because on your you're on the side of pulling out of these countries, don't just support somebody just because they're doing it. Because you could do it in a way that is absolutely horrible for everybody involved. Um, but um, oh, and another thing, Ali, I want to touch on before we uh, before we leave is I'm very interested to see. Uh, Iran's role in all of this because as I mentioned to you right now the Taliban, some officials uh, uh, right now are in Tehran talking to uh, Javad Zarif, Iran's foreign minister which is very interesting because I'm I'm listening to Afghan officials and the the way they're describing it and the people um, the people a lot of Afghans current government hates the fact that Iran is talking to Taliban Because it's giving, or anybody who's talking to, like, they hate the fact that United States talks to Taliban, they hate the fact that Iran is talking to Taliban, because it's giving them legitimacy and authority, right? And they think, like, the fact that Iran's foreign minister is sitting with the Taliban and negotiating with them is a major betrayal of the current Afghan government. Uh, but basically, Iran's government is seeing the writing on the wall. They're like, this is going to be the government so we need to make sure. And the 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 thing that they're highlighting the current Afghan politician is like, Taliban was like attacking you guys. Taliban killed your journalists, uh, like Iranian journalists, um, and now you are sitting with them as if you're buddy buddies, right? Um, Iran before before the invasion. Iran's government considered Taliban like a radical group that was, there were mortal enemies with Taliban because, because Taliban's ideology considers Shias to be heretics and all. Um, and also when, they, when the evasion happened, um, Iran's government and United States were on, the sa- were on the same side against the Taliban. Like they were working with each other against the Taliban, right? Um, but now that um, Iran's policy is mostly like removing it doesn't, removing United States interests all so that they could, you know, sneak in, um, they're supporting everybody and anybody that is pushing back against Americans, um, which now seems to be including the Taliban, uh, which is very interesting because you can see in uh, Iran's newspapers, like the ones that are closer to the regime, they're now whitewashing Taliban. They're like. The new reformed Taliban, but <laughs> like they're trying to market Taliban as this entity that is Iran's government. It could potentially support, especially now given how you know how much it's in their advantage to be anti-American. But it's so amazing because just like two decades ago, these people, Taliban and Iran's government, could not see eye to eye on anything, and now they're like, now they're like cooperating with each other. Or so, um, but yeah, so that, it would be interesting. Yeah. Also, yeah. Lewis is saying you want to say something on that before we read? No, no,
1: it's good. I think you covered it. Uh, Lois is saying, what is the relationship between the Mujahideen and the Taliban, right? So, um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of people but, are, yeah, go ahead.
2: Mujahideen is, I think, a more of a general term, and it was an earlier, it, it was more foreign to, ta- to Afghanistan than the Taliban, right? Mujahideen right. were, like, came out of, like, Uh, Saudi Arabia and other places. Um, It was the initial movement to fight back against the Russians. Uh, It was working, it was a group of people that worked with the Afghans. It was basically the Osama bin Laden of the world moving to Afghanistan as a way to save um, Muslim land from these atheists that are like, that are that are basically there and they consider that such a horrible thing that they wanted to unite the Muslim world in saving this Muslim land from uh, you know, these heretics, right? Which is, but Taliban is more of an internal, like I'm, when I say internal, I know there's Pakistan, and like just that area, um, people from that area, people more local. I, that's my interpretation. Yeah, right? there's,
1: no, there's, and so that, all of that's true, but there's a little bit more. So Mujahideen was a, like sort of a traditional, this group, was uh, working with the U.S. It was much more organized, fighting against the Soviets, as Armin said. Um, funded
2: by the Saudis, yeah.
1: Funded by the Saudis and and the United States, when I mean, the United States was like fighting yes. this war against the Soviets, and that was the thing. Like these godless, uh, uh, Soviet's, you know, we have to unite against them. The U.S. was in the middle of this huge religious fervor at the time too, so it was a it was a big thing. That was were Mujahideen, and the Mujahideen broke up into different factions, right? I mean, eventually got big, and, and especially after the U.S. left. Um, right. And cut and ran And there were issues with it So if you remember, if, if you recall around the time of nine eleven, A few days before nine eleven, They went and they killed the leader of the Northern Alliance right? So the Northern Alliance was also These were also part of the Mujahideen Who opposed the Taliban And the Taliban brought in Al-Qaeda The Northern Alliance was against that uh, So the Northern Alliance also provided A little bit, they, they were allies With the US, some of these people There's a minority that were kind of weak um, uh, When the US came in uh, to Afghanistan to fight the Taliban. So, yeah, the, you know, there were different factions, and the Taliban was one of these factions, and they weren't fond of a lot of what mm-hmm. the Mujahideen did. The Mujahideen had also a traditional kind of jihad where they were just working, they were mm-hmm. much more organized. The Taliban had sort of like a broader, it was a little bit more disorganized and more sort of, uh, you know, what do you call it, grassroots and um, decentralized in a way at the time mm-hmm. when it started.
2: I don't. I don't know if people can appreciate how uh, big of a shock it was to these radical groups, to these mujahideens, and all these other um, associated groups. When they, Ali, be careful, your microphone is hitting your beard. Mm-hmm. Um, how big of a shock it was when they have managed to unite the Muslim world to not the Muslim world, sorry, these radical groups to go to. Afghanistan with the message that we have heretics on Muslim land and we cannot accept. Like This is a tragedy. This is horrible. Muslim land has been invaded by these heretics. And if there's anything that should unite us in, in to do jihad, is this. So we need to go there. We should all come here. We should all unite from all, all the Muslims, from every, any Muslim fighter from anywhere in the world. Come join us in Afghanistan so we could drive these heretics out, right? And when they were there and they did that, then what happened is Saddam invaded Kuwait and all that, and Saudi Arabia was like, this is horrible, and we need to fight back against Saddam. And like, hey, Americans, come to Saudi Arabia. (laughs) Not just Americans, okay? Soldiers, American military, to not go on just Muslim land, the Muslim land, the most sacred la- Islamic land of all, opening it to a country, to the mili- a military that is supporter of Zionists. Infidels, like, yeah. Not just, not just, okay, not just any Muslim land, the Muslim land, not just any infidel, Zionists supporting infidels, and their military. I mean, their minds have must have been blown. Like we're here, like we're fighting over Afghanistan, which is like such a like we told them everybody that this is such a horrible thing that there's heretics here, and back at home where we came from, they're opening the door to Americans. Like they yeah. were so. This is like this is when Wahhabis turned so like these Wahhabi movements became so anti a uh, House of Saad. Uh, that like, was actually
1: the main reason that Al Qaeda uh, was formed. Okay, so Al Qaeda, like for those, for reference, I mean, I think a lot of people know this. In Mecca, for instance, in Mecca, the holiest city for all Muslims, non Muslims are not allowed. There are signs, like non Muslims have to turn away well ahead of time. They're not allowed in Mecca because Mecca is supposed to be land only for Muslims. It's pure. Bin Laden, right, and Al Qaeda, they felt that way about all of Saudi Arabia. They felt that way about the whole thing. They thought that all of it should be treated as Mecca. There should be no uh, you know and, and especially when you had the infidel army coming in right to fight then that became that became a really really big issue
0: um,
1: they, so that's hmm? do they
2: still have those street signs like when you go on the highway and you get yeah, close yeah, to mecca yeah. okay so let me tell us uh when you're if you're driving in saudi arabia and you're on the highway and you're getting close to mecca the street signs will tell you that if non-muslims need to take this route because this route that you're taking, like you need to take an exit here if you're not a Muslim, because non Muslims are not allowed in Mecca, and this is getting too close to Mecca. So, you need to make sure you take the exit if you're a non Muslim. That's yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> it is, <laughs> is. Yeah, it's so, it's like that. but and, anyway, we're, we're on time right now. We're at time, yeah, okay. And, yeah, thank you for uh, t- everybody for listening to this. I think this is yeah, fast. I, this is a really fascinating topic, and we're going to see what happens. I mean, the withdrawal is supposed to happen in September. Now, uh, if, you, if you like what you hear today, I mean, please do consider going to patreon.com SJME, where you can become a patron for less than uh, a, a dollar a month, and you can get, uh, for as little as a dollar a month, sorry, and uh, you'll get uh, five to six episodes uh, every month. And, uh, you know, you can engage, you can ask your questions in advance. And we will get to your questions first if you do ask them in advance uh, on our Patreon page. Uh, Wait, and- let me
2: let me be, let me be more clear about what you get as a patron. Okay, so first of all, if you're not a patron, you're listening to this uh, the audio version of this. Later, so if you are a patron, you get to watch these live with us and have a conversation with us. Like you saw, we had some people in the live chat right now. So patrons get to watch this live, um, um, and the video version of it. And also, patrons uh, get to because a lot of patrons like, hey, I'm a patron, but I don't. My questions don't get asked because I the, the times that you're doing this live, I'm working or I can't make it live. Uh, so, as a patron, you get to ask your questions ahead of time to make sure that whatever questions you have about a certain topic um does get addressed even if you can't make it uh, live uh, watch it live with us, right? So that's the two main advantages that patrons get. The third thing is that you will support the show, which is also very nice, I think,
1: yeah. <laughs> and just on this topic, read the history, read the history just a few decades ago. just read it if you want to get some information on what's happening right now and the significance of it and why this is not binary and why this is really, really complicated, this kind of decision. And th- there really isn't one side to take completely. If you're a rational independently thinking person, just read up on the history, read up on recent history and what happened. Music guy in the live
2: chat is saying good info guys with a blue heart and Susanna is saying lovely inform, lovely informative discussion. Oh, thank you. With no heart.
1: She didn't put a heart there terrible at least the thank you music guy for at least putting a blue heart you know it's all right (laughs) venus blood but whatever it is but anyway uh thank you everybody for joining us and uh we will see you next time bye guys be best be best
0: the secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the illuminati and the covert support of israel and the cia that's what we have been told but we haven't received our checks yet If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.